countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Know, O Prince, that between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the gleaming cities and the years of the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world like blue mantles beneath the stars. When the land rose up and people talked about, uh, I guess, comic books or something. <laughs> it's now time for more of The Last Comic Shop. Thank you so much, J.A., for that wonderful introduction to our swords and sorcery show yes this week we're doing a genre show genre show he's my favorite french mime and i'm the host with the most as always andy larson i'm joined by jay scott and chad smith and of course jay scott was wonderful enough to grace us with i think some words from savage sword of conan correct that is correct that was the start of the namidian chronicles as written by robert e howard there you go. Uh, Adapted. We're, we're not doing Conan today, Jets. Yeah, we are not. Wh- who are we doing as my, uh, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing the She-Devil herself, everyone's favorite flaming redhead, Red Sonia, created by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor-Smith. Uh, spoilers, the, the show may get a little randy at times on this one, kids. So... <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a not for all audience. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you have a character that runs around in a basically a metal bikini, like you're gonna get some comments at times. But long story short, I mean, swords and sorcery has been a very popular genre at times among comic books. Uh, as far back as the original comic book strips, when we had the wonderful Prince Valiant by uh, Hal Foster that uh, graced newspapers throughout the world for for many, many decades. And from there, of course, uh, you know, you've got the the Conan comic books, of course, Red Sonja, who we're going to be talking about today, Warlord from DC Comics, uh, another awesome guy running around in a very tiny underwear and a sword. Call the Conqueror. Call the Conqueror. It's just been a great subgenre of comic books, and a lot of really good series have come out of this genre over the years. But real quickly, I wanted to ask uh, my two co-hosts, uh, do they have any particular favorites or, or ones they've liked? Well, I'll start off, I'm not traditionally a big sword and sorcery guy, but there are those times where you have that itch that it just it, it just scratches. And so it's not often, but there, from time to time, I will pick up some Conan. I love the more modern stuff with the Carrie Nord art. I think that stuff is beautiful. I've been really interested to see the stuff that's going on over at Marvel recently with the Savage Avengers and all that craziness. Like, you have Conan having dinner with Doctor Doom. Like, that's awesome. And uh, as we'll find out later, I'm no stranger to the Red Sonja books, but probably not for reasons you would expect. Very interesting. Uh, J.A., your sword and sorcery uh, experience with comics? I've always been a big Conan fan. And what I like about sword and sorcery is it always tended to be, at at the best of times, it was geared towards a older audience. So these were high school students, college students, people that had gotten into role-playing in Dungeons & Dragons and things like that. So 
I thought at its best, you've got like Savage sort of Conan, the the magazine that was black and white that is made for a more mature audience. It allows you to tell stories that are a bit more risque. I think it's almost a as the plots get more involved, the clothing gets less involved. <laughs> and that makes for a great swords and sorcery book. Oh, there you go. Speaking of which, by the way, uh, one thing that you mentioned is Dungeons and Dragons. There really hasn't been a great Dungeons and Dragons comic book. Uh, I think on a previous show you said, hey, if there's a good Star Trek comic book out there, please, some of our last comic shop fans, let us know. The same thing goes for me in Dungeons and Dragons. Like, seriously, I've picked up bunches of Dungeons and Dragons comic books over the years, and every single time I do, I'm always disappointed. Like, I'm a fan of the game. I've played it very uh, on many occasions, but like when it comes to comic books, there's just something that never seems to uh, go right or, or, or captures the spirit of the same feeling you get when you play the uh, the actual role playing game. I will say my favorite Dungeons and Dragons comic books were those little ads that they used to have in the 80s. You know, from TSR, like, oh no, there's the slime, or here's the dimensional door. And I would just be like, oh. And it turns out that was actually a story. Like, if you followed along, like, page to page, even though it had different art, it was kind of neat. So you find all of those online now. Like, you can find the actual ads, and you can follow along with the story, which is kind of cool. Now, do you think that Dungeons & Dragons didn't work so well because the game itself is you creating and you being a part of the story, and in the comic, you're just ultimately passive the entire time? So ha- would it have been better if they made one of those choose-your-own-adventure Dungeons & Dragons comic books where you have to, like, turn to page 55? <laughs> That's a fascinating idea! That would be the best way to do it, for sure. So not everything is going to translate from format to format. And like you said, Jay, the the involved nature of the D&D, like you just don't get that in the comic page. You get lots of other stuff, but uh, you lose that essence of the game right there without people making things up as they go. Yeah. And you're sort of relying on the artist and the writer for that issue to imagine the world as opposed to you imagining the world yourself. Right. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons and just somebody handed you a character and be like, you're going to play as this person. And I'm like, really? I got to play as this person? Like, why can't I make my own character up? Like, why? When you're playing as that character and that character has a tiger and you guys beat the bad guy and you say, my tiger eats him. And the rest of the guys spend the entire time apologizing for your tiger eating. <laughs> <laughs> and played Dungeons and Dragons once. It was a bad experience. Uh, I was I like, if I would spend my like... fantasy time apologizing, I would just hang out with my wife. <laughs> yeah. yes. I knew it was going to come up the one time I played Dungeons and Dragons with Chad, and he has a horrible, horrible experience. But I will say this. My favorite Swords and Sorcery comic book is, of course, the He-Man mini-comics. But a, speci- a, a particular subset of them, there was was a set that came out with the series two figures now these were the figures like ram man triclops trap jaw uh evil lynn manny faces these uh, particular mini comics were done in coordination with dc they were written primarily by gary Cohn with mark to art there's about seven of them and uh, they are really in my opinion the pinnacle of he-man mini comics because The stories are very gripping. They're very epic. 
There's one story in which Skeletor steals all of the magic on Eternia, and basically He-Man has to go on this quest up to like the farthest reaches of the northern wastes, and they basically have this epic showdown. Uh, It's called the Magic Stealer. I I did a whole series of uh, my favorite mini-comics on my blog, so go out and check it out. But really, if you can get those, you can get it in the collection that I've talked about before, the uh, Dark Horse collection of all the mini-comics from Masters of the Universe Toys. Just spend some time with those particular issues because I think the art's gorgeous, the stories are wonderful, it's just dark, exciting. It's everything that Masters of the Universe should be, in my opinion. Was the scalp hunting one in that uh, subset? Like They're pulling He-Man's hair back and they're ready to... Oh, yeah, Slave City! No, that was in the next one! But um, Slave City is a great one. Uh, it's where basically He-Man loses his memory and he becomes a slave in like the gladiator pits. It's a great story, but it has a little more t- too much Prince Adam in it. And, uh, it always gets my goat. But in any case, one thing that doesn't have Prince Adam in is Red Sonia. And we're going to be talking about that after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned for more She-Devil goodness. What happens when 20-something Madison is zapped into old-time radio shows? No technology. Ugh, I want to go to voicemail. No Starbucks. Don't call yourself a coffee shop if you only sell drip coffee. And no one is PC. I don't need no lip from... Were you about to say woman? Because I'm wearing a gun and I have no idea how to use it. Madison on the Air serves to highlight the way we were and the way we are today with original radio drama scripts adapted to include the modern-day Madison as she joins famous characters from radio's past, including Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never actually said that. Marshal Matt Dillon. We're not having a shootout with a 10-year-old kid. I'm too woke to be a part of this. Superman. I didn't realize how cold it would be flying like this. I have to get into the higher atmosphere. And many more. Visit us on the web at madisonontheair.com or find us pretty much any place podcasts can be found. You talk so old-timey. I have no idea what you said, but it's adorbs. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our Read Pile Review, a time when we quest to bring you comic books from the farthest reaches of the long boxes of shops that we've been to. Or just from Dynamite Press. Oh, there you go, too. So there's been many series of Dynamite Comics featuring Red Sonia. Which one are we talking about today, Chad? So we're diving into Gail Simone's Red Sonia. Uh, We're doing volumes one and two. Volume one, which was the Queen of Plagues, containing issues one through six, and then issues seven through twelve, composed of the Art of Blood and Fire, written by Gail Simone. Art uh, throughout was p- primarily by Walter Giovanni, uh, colors by Adriana Lucas, and letters by Simon Bolin. All right. Well, it was J.A.'s pick this week. Uh, he wanted to read some Red Sonia. So he's not only going to give the ten cent synopsis, but I'm going to turn over hosting duties. I'm taking a break. He's going to drive the bus for a little while. Or, as you might have mentioned, maybe a dying horse cart. (laughs) (laughs) So what's that 10 cent synopsis, J.A.? So like any great sword and sorcery book, we get arcs, like story arcs. So the first six issues is a self-contained story. The next six issues is a self-contained story. You don't have to read the first six issues to then re- to understand what goes on in the second six issues. And and that's one thing that I, I didn't think we, we brought up enough earlier in the show is that's what 
I love about Swords and Sorcery. You can come in and out of it at any point and, and not feel like you've missed all this backstory. As long as you're starting that arc at the beginning, you kind of, oh, you know, six issues, I'm going to get a really nice epic story. They tend to be very self-contained. Yeah, that's true. You're not bogged down with a ton of continuity when it's just a hot lady in a chainmail bikini with a sword. (laughs) (laughs) Or buff man in a loincloth. That's true. That works as well. So, uh, in Queen of Plagues, Red Sonia is infected with what could be the bubonic plague and goes through this hellish dreamscape where she relives her past and then is fighting off dying while she fights to protect the village from dying. And in the art of blood and fire, she goes on a quest where she has to get the six greatest artisans of the realm so that a dying king can have this massive celebratory life party and he won't kill all his slaves. The best fencer and the best beast master and the best magician and the best stargazer, the best, uh, what was the best dancer. Yes. If she wins, a thousand slaves get set free. And if she fails, J.A.? The slaves are all killed and buried with their master. I'm surprised there wasn't, like, best dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) Best refrigerator repairman. The guy's going out. What does he need a dishwasher for? Uh, You never know. It's fine. They're having a massive party. What are they going to do with it? Just throw them all out on the lawn? They need somebody to... Best custodial work. (laughs) So let me just start out, because a lot of us probably came to Red Sonja, unless you're a giant fan of the Bridget Nielsen movie, from the earlier Marvel comics of Red Sonja by Roy Thomas and John Bushima. So this is modern comics. Did you feel that that worked, the, the, the modern aesthetic with a sword and sorcery book? Or when you think sword and sorcery, it's got to be in that sort of 1970s, 1980s. I know this is going to be sacrilege, especially as I'm talking to you, Jay, because I know this is that is your jam. But I the 70s and into the 80s sword and sorcery books, I always struggle to, to pay attention to for more than a couple issues at a time. Mm. Like, I'm good for a story or two, and then... Whatever itch that is is satisfied, and I'm content to just move on with my day. And so I I didn't mind this because, once again, you have this experience. And like you said, they are self-contained stories, which is nice. But it's that modern storytelling, so it takes six issues, so it feels substantial. It's not like you just only only read one issue and then then you're done. But by the time I got through 12 issues, like I'm like, all right, I'm good. That's not I will say that uh, I appreciated the fact that Gail Simone kind of hit a, a little bit of a reset button with Red Sonia uh, in terms of like, okay, we're in the, in the first uh, series, the queen of plagues, you get her origin story a little bit. Like not only do you get some information from where, you know, the tribe that she, you know, came from the village that she came from her training as a young kid with her father and, you know, and going hunting and things like that. But then you get like the fact that she was thrown into this like hellish gladiatorial survival of the fittest slave ring with a big toad dude. And he was all like, ah, let me lick your face. And like, she ended up building up a sisterhood with another fellow slave. And they're the only ones that survived. Like they were like the best killers out there. And so like, 
from my perspective, that is so much more characterization than I ever got from hot chick, like, jumping on top of a giant snake and stabbing it in the head. <laughs> like, that was all I thought of when Red Sonia before I read this book. So Gail Simone did succeed with changing my viewpoint of what a Red Sonia book was capable of. Because up until then, I was just like, I'm sorry, hot girl fighting things with big swords. Like, that was pretty much all you got from a lot of other Red Sonia books. Well, I mean, I, I'm curious, and we mentioned before how they're not really continuity-laden. I feel like a lot of what you described is a trope of the of the genre. Like, every third sword and sorcery story that I read goes back to their origin, where they have a relationship with a character from the past, and now that they've come back to the present and all, you know... They're either their relationship is going to impact the story in some way. And I wonder, does Red Sonia have like a nailed down origin story or is it something that just every third arc they're like, and now she was in this cave and she made friends with a bear. <laughs> now she has, I mean, Marvel, she had an established origin story dynamite before this Gail Simone thing had killed her and brought back like a clone or, I mean, they had really gone off the rails a bit. So the Gail Simone run was really a hard reset on the character. I mean, it was almost, they retconned off a lot of the earlier dynamite stuff that they had done. Cause was very much a conscious effort, put her back in something closer to the Marvel origins. But there is a, like a set thing out there. It's not something they just play fast and loose with all the time, I guess, as well as. No, yeah, there is something set very much similar to Conan. But like Conan, uh, and when you read his story, he's at different parts of, you know, he's the savage, he's the wanderer, he's the king. You know, Conan has an arc where he goes from standalone person to leading a tribe to leading a kingdom to, you know, conqueror of all. Right. Well, that was the thing that the one question that I had, you know, for for you, J.A., in, in the fact that you like both Conan and you like Red Sonja. I, I, I wanted to push back and say, like, was this just like basically Gail Simone took the Red Sonja archetype and basically said, you know what? You know what works well for fantasy things? The Conan archetype. I'm just going to basically supplant her personality with pretty much what you would consider a classic Conan. Like, I will say this, that she is much more heroic for I've ever seen Conan, because mostly Conan is a, a mercenary at best. Uh, Red Sonja, at least especially in the second arc, she's trying to save a thousand slaves, which is incredibly noble. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, she's fighting a lot. She's drinking a lot. She's betting a lot of people. Like, I, I just felt like trying, it was like, trying yeah, to bet a lot of people. <laughs> yes, she, she didn't but bet anybody. Like, but it just felt like, ah, we're just going to make Red Sonia act like Conan does. Is that like taking a shortcut as opposed to giving her like a separate character, I guess? Yeah, I, I don't know if I would have said that. Uh I felt that the the biggest difference between the Gail Simone Red Sonia and sort of the classic Red Sonia books of the 70s and 80s is very similar to sort of what you got with the reboot of Wonder Woman in the DC movie universe versus like the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. So in the Linda Carter Wonder Woman, you had very much she's one woman standing out in a you know a landscape of controlled by men. And she's sort of this exception. 
that was very much Red Sonia in the 70s and 80s. She was very much the exception. Men were the ones who did all the fighting. Red Sonia was different, and, and, you know, she played on her looks a lot. And here with Gail Simone, it was much more there's understood sisterhood. And you had a lot more women looking out, out for women and the angle of the story wasn't told as this is just the man's world and she's a one-off that's totally different bit more involved and i think that just reflects you know how society has viewed gender stereotypes and gender roles as we've improved ourselves to go to your point that they've sort of taken some of her personality and just cranked them up yeah, I could, yeah, I, I think you could probably make that argument. Um, I think some of that is just the the Gail Simone writing, which I found it was quite witty. If you read to Chad's point, if you read some of the old Red Sonia, it's very dense. There's some stories uh, in the original Marvel run that literally it's a novel on a page. There's so many word balloons. So it was nice to sort of have that modern aesthetic and the quips and the the humor that you didn't always get before. I like that she didn't always have to play on her, her femininity. Um, yeah. I, 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 I did like that quite a lot that I, I actually like the fact that I hate to say it, that she wore clothes <laughs> all the time. Again, I, I go back to that. I mean, that was one of the things that they used to do with the old red Sonia's. Like, I mean, it was just how much can we show this on either a cover or something? Cause we knew at the time back in the day, the, primary comic book audience was a bunch of hormonal teenagers and and that was what they were trying to make bucks with but i i think it was good that they kind of moved away from that a little bit and well I, so here's where I'd, i'll push back against that just slightly because i feel like this is more representative of uh, a story from modern empowered females this is giving females that role model and red Sonia could wear what she wants to wear. I think it comes up in the second story whenever she's, she goes into the church and like, you can't dress like that. And they give her these frocks to put on and, you know, and it, and it hurts her confidence. It's emblematic of a, you know, women seizing the power, especially since it's coming from Gail Simone. And it's one of those things where, you know, Gail Simone set out and had female artists draw all the covers for this series. I thought what I would consider the cheesecakiest images were those covers that were drawn yeah. by female artists. That's once, what I was, I was go going to bring that up and ask you. Uh, the, the covers were by Jenny Frizen and just beautiful painted covers, but very different from the inside in that it was red sonia's classic outfit the chainmail bikini the the poses the looks it was very 1970s sword and sorcery camp how did you feel the cover versus the interior you know that juxtaposition did that did you like that did that you know i because Chad, we all know you hate when there's the cover artist. It doesn't look like the inside. I do. The cover artist drives me crazy. And Dynamite, in particular, is a company. They've been known for years for just having covers that are pinups, that don't deal with what's going on in the story itself. I honestly, I just expect that stuff out of Dynamite. You can see on, on any given issue, they have like 17 different covers. And some of them are like cosplay covers. And the, the curmudgeon in me is like, just let the main artist draw the cover. Uh, which, by the way, 
I don't know if you guys uh, saw on my Twitter way back when, but they actually let the artist draw covers for this series, and they were doing an Indiegogo campaign, I think, where if you're interested in that, you can can look it up. They're going to be out there. At the same time, I I also don't want to stand in the way of people claiming their power. Well, I I, I actually like the covers more. I, I honestly did. I mean, again, to, to Jay's point, it was more classic Red Sonia and what what I was kind of used to. Uh, I mean, some of those covers where she looked not only powerful, but she I, I she looked sultry. And there's the painterly quality too. Like anytime they do high fantasy with paint, is great. Like that's <laughs> just good stuff. Whether it was like uh, Alfredo Alcala back in the day or Frank Frazetta, paint is just makes things look so much better when it comes to high fantasy. I had a question though, which is we got two stories in this and there are two separate story arcs. Was there a particular story arc that you guys liked more? Um, For me, I I really enjoyed the second one more so than the first. I thought the first one was fine. In the second one though, I really honestly thought that Gail Simone was just toying with the emotions of the audience. If you're coming at this from the worst possible perspective and be like, yeah, I'm here for the cheesecake. She writes a story about a red Sonia who's there for all the F things, all the fighting, all the flirting, uh, all the, the flagons of mead. I don't call it that, but you know, she's all about drinking and traveling and, and trying to score, you know, cutting off heads one minute and trying to score the next. And like, it was fun to watch her play with that. And like Sonia is, she's successful at killing a ton of people, but she's unsuccessful in some of the other stuff. And like, it was just really entertaining with me to, to watch Gail Simone and and Walter Giovanni just watching them play with those tropes. Every issue, they would meet a new artisan who's the best in the world. You got to explore all these different types of adventures you know, whether it was in the church or in the brothel or in the lion's den, uh, I, I thought that was a lot more fun. I could see the second story arc being made into a movie because it had the sort of the people from different backgrounds coming together to form a family. Red Sonia, who had always been on her own, always been the singular person, suddenly realizing that, you know, these people mean something to her as much as she means to them and fighting for the great cause and, and realizing that. Other people who she might have had uh, one idea or concept of, like this, this in the brothel, the the best you know prostitute of all time, actually was doing it for. She was the honorable prostitute. Go figure. Things like you know the hooker with the heart of gold, trying trying I- to make a union. We need to unionize. <laughs> well, that was one thing that I I, I thought was uh, a little bit disappointing about the second series. I I, I did go into the second series thinking it was going to be better because again, it's more of the classic like, hey, every issue is like getting one more piece of the MacGuffin, which is always like a classic like you know again high fantasy trope where you have to go get this piece of the scroll and then you got to get this piece of the scroll and you put them together, then you can say the magic words and abracadabra. <laughs> The, you know, the magic dragon appears. But what I didn't like was the fact that it seemed like they spent more time with certain characters and not so much time with other ones. Like, for example, they introduced the dancer. He shows up for like, I don't know, five panels. And even in the big fight at the end, he's just like dancing, dancing around. Yeah. Like, I, I get it, but they didn't yeah. spend any- 
she's got another real... F for focus. That dancer was focused on his craft. Well, then I wish that it was a little more focused on some of these characters. Like, they spent a lot of time in the first two issues talking about the relationship between Red Sonja and the cook guy. Then, like, they introduce all the other characters, and it's just like, ah, forget about the cook. Let's talk about the brothel person for a little while. And, like, the cook person just completely disappears, and I'm like, well, where's that person? I was getting used to the cook. Or, uh, you know, and then the swords person comes in, and he's awesome. And they spent a lot more time with him. And again, like, it just seemed like they were going between one character and another in a kind of a little bit of a haphazard way. Or if you were going to play up certain relationships that they were more important. Like at the end, the cook and the brothel person get together and they don't, they didn't even mention that they were a thing. And the beast girl with the beasts, like they spent a great issue with her. And then she just went off to the side for a little while. I enjoyed actually the first arc a lot more because I feel like this, the relationships that happen in the first arc, there was a lot more time spent with them. You develop a real rivalry between uh, Red Sonia and what was her name? I, it was initially Dark Anissa and then Red Anissa. Well, there you go. They had a sisterly bond. They loved each other. They looked out for each other. And then that kind of all fell apart. One of them went crazy because she killed too many people, had PTSD, whatever. Long story short, it was an interesting arc. And not only that, but you also had the relationship between Red Sonia and the king, uh, who had saved her from the bondage, which I thought was a high level of respect there, which was the only man she would ever bow down to. Yes. Yeah. And, and also uh, Red Sonia and her bodyguards. Yeah. Who were, yeah. Who were just portrayed as commonly village women who then became under Red Sonia empowered and stronger. And they turned out to not just be these clumsy village women, but were like, you know, ridiculously deadly archers who could uh, shoot out your eye at. 500 yards and red sony gets that cool raven domino mask that i wasn't sure what that was but it was there for quite a bit but but really in that first set of issues it's like red sonia and her relationships with like three different people like the king is a little bit and then her main bad guy and her sidekicks that's pretty much it as opposed to Red Sonia and a bunch of sidekicks, which you get in the second series. The only thing I didn't like about the first book was the fact that they had a Deus Ex Machina bad guy. Like, he just shows up at the end. He's like, ha-ha, I poisoned everybody. I'm like, who is this person? Why should I care? Like, this person came out of nowhere. I liked uh, Red Anissa or Dark Anissa. She was a much better bad guy. I don't need man showing up and being the bad guy instead. Like, that was that was stupid. Yeah, I, I had some issues with that one uh, just because I did feel like some of the character turns, like they weren't surprising, but they were like, oh, you're just going to do it like that. And uh, the other thing, too, there were portions of that story where I thought the art was a little bit unclear or like stuff happened. And I'm like, wait, is that lady dead? No, wait, she's not dead. OK. And like just some things that were just storytelling wise where I was like, uh, it's a little shaky. Whereas I feel like by the time that second story came around, they cinched that stuff up a little bit better. Yeah, I think it, it'll be an interesting um, rating session based on this, because I think this book had a lot to offer. But, you know, there were some some missing parts or in this case, maybe chinks in the chain mail. So uh, we will get to that after these commercial messages. Hi, everyone. This is Mark, the DM for Stranger Damies. What is Stranger Damies, you ask? 
Well, we're just a bunch of first-time D&D players exploring the world of Tal'Dorei 30 years after the events of the Coma Conclave, which was made famous on Critical Role. Join us every week as we roll some dice, make some mistakes, but most importantly, we have fun. New episodes air every Wednesday at strangerdamies.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast streaming app. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at strangerdamies. And is it Wednesday yet? Did the Iron Fist Netflix series leave a bad taste in your mouth? Are you caught up in the hype of Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings? Have you ever wondered what these characters' true origins and adventures are like, but you don't have the time to read through hundreds and hundreds of issues? Then subscribe to the deadly podcast of Kung Fu, where I, JVD, traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artists in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. Each week, I break down a story arc and discuss the good and the bad within the pages to save you hours of reading through comics so you can focus on the best of which each character has to offer. New episodes drop every Wednesday for you to listen to on your way to your local comic book shop to pick up your pull list. Sharpen your swords and dust off your shields. We're back from commercial break and it's now time for our rating. Where we like to assign value to a book. In this case, Gail Simone's Red Sonia. We say... Does it require a full chainmail bikini, or are we just talking about leather bracelets? <laughs> wow! I think Dynamite came up with that alternative cover, too. They like to put out those kind of covers. Oh, There's so seen many those, covers. Those Deja Thorne covers. Boy, she's barely wearing anything in those except pasties. But anyways, because I'm sort of hosting as much as Andrew will let me, it is his turn to give us a rating scale. Oh. Well, of course. I mean, you just mentioned it. If you're going to rate a Red Sonia book, you got to rate it in chainmail bikinis. I mean, that's that's just it. How many do you have in your drawer? Do you have like one? You have two? You have three? You have four? Just in case they rust? I don't understand that. Like when she goes into like, I don't know, a swamp, does she come out and it's just rusty everywhere? That's got to be uncomfortable. Are you asking about my chainmail drawers? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about your drawers, Chad. Not even your wife. Uh, Certain things that you just can't clean. Last thing we're worried about is rust with yours. (laughs) Right. So, with all that said, Chad, how many chainmail bikinis are you giving Gail Simone's Red Sonia? So, I struggle with this uh, because... You know, there's sometimes we're like, you know, I'll, I'll read the stuff we're reading for the show in front of the family. And this was this was not that like there was there's a little bit of shame involved with this story. And then at, at the same time, I feel bad for for even saying that out loud, because ultimately, at the end of the day, I feel like it was about empowerment. Like, I thought these stories did serve, uh, you know, a positive purpose. Uh, I thought the covers were a little cheesecakey, especially the, the edition we were reading, the collected edition. They would like zoom in on the particular picture, so you get the steely-eyed stare at the top, and then the, the you know the side view of Sonya's outfit on the like that. That's just not the stuff traditionally I, I'm looking for out of my comic books. But at the same time, I read superhero comics where people are dressed up in super tight outfits all the time, and I don't blink an eye. So like, there's a part of me where it's like I have to get over myself. Um, and so the art I thought was solid mostly, but like I did say earlier, there were a couple of spots where it got hard for me to follow like some of the action sequences i thought oh uh, you know a, a better artist could have handled this uh more delicately or or whatever with that said i really had fun with the stories 
And there's something to be said for the way that Simone and company, they acknowledge basically the baser instincts that a lot of sword and sorcery is meant to, to appeal to. And I, that's a backhanded way of saying something I mean as a compliment, like she knows what she's doing. She knows what the audience is looking for and they, they achieve that very well. So, um, I'm going to say 2.75 chainmail armor bikinis. If you're into this sort of thing, I definitely say check it out. But at the same time, like I, I'm not proudly displaying my Red Sonia comics <laughs> on the mantle. Okay. Andrew, All right. how many chainmail bikinis are you putting on as you walk into the swamp? <laughs> you know what? I think I read 12 issues of a series this week. And there's a four-star book in these 12 issues. Unfortunately, it's spread over, like, two storylines. And I I think that's, I guess, why this isn't going to be a four-chainmail bikini book. Because I feel like there were great parts of the first storyline, as I mentioned, kind of kept the cast small, so that Red Sonja had a lot better personal relationships with some of those characters but at the same time they gave you a bad guy out of nowhere like a scooby-doo oh you horrible kids and too bad you ruined all my plans red sonia like it, it, it just took away from everything that they were building between those two characters and red sonia and uh dark anisia in the second series you get like different characters but there were just too many of them like Six characters, some of which we didn't even get to know very well, and then other ones we got to know and then immediately disappear for issues upon a time. That's not what I'm looking for either. You know, so I feel like somewhere in between those two books is probably the best Red Sonia that Gail Simone could have written. What I will say though is I appreciate the fact that she actually gave Red Sonia a very, very good personality. Whether it was the first series or the second series, I actually cared about her. As a character, I felt like she had a lot of depth. She had a lot of heart. She had a lot of huspah. Like, I, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, she she made me care about Red Sonia, which is a character I have never cared about. I'm wondering if she'll go out and write Vampirella, because that's another character that I, I felt was just written for one particular reason. And, and I guess, under the right writer... That's not the case. And so um, I'm going to give this, I think, a three. Because it was good. It changed my perceptions of what Red Sonia could be. But it's it had some failings. Like, it had some things that, like, eh, it could have been better between those two storylines, I think. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Andrew. Uh, and Chad, I you know, you had a lot of good points as well. I think I'm going to give it three. Three bikinis as well i like the modern take on red sonia i like that gail simone was able to sort of make her less this singular female outside the norm type character that she was in the 70s and make her much more part of a sisterhood and um, female empowerment and it just seemed like a much more modern take and you know a woman running around in a bikini killing people with a giant sword i thought the art at times was really really good It was good at capturing sort of the humor and the bits of Red Sonja's character that you're not used to seeing versus what you would get in sort of some of the more classic Red Sonja where it was always focusing on sort of the ferocity 
of Red Sonja, and and you know she was almost like the she devil, right? You know, she was the Wolverine. She was able to kill everyone because she was just so ferocious, and that is almost that negative female trope. You know, the 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 fifty foot woman, the the woman who's unbridled and can't be controlled. And they, they kind of flip that on the head and, and that you see that it she controls that aspect of her. And you get into that in that in the story where she's fighting the swordsman and she's easily bested by the best swordsman because it was just a game. But then when she turns it on in her head, she goes, no, it's not a game. I'm fighting for my life. Then she's able to bring out, you know, this superhuman power of hers. Uh, but I like that it made her controlling of that. She's in control of when she's able to unleash these forces as opposed to just being sort of like the, oh, it's female nature. I do wonder if maybe we got the best Gail Simone Red Sonia in the third volume, which we did not read, The Forgiving of Monsters, 13 to 18, because it was an 18-issue run. So I think it scratched that itch. It was it's nice to see sword and sorcery brought in in a modern comic book form. So uh, a new generation of readers who might not be as exposed to sword and sorcery, because as we say, we not we haven't been getting it a lot. Though at this time next year, we could do a, a Conan, a modern Conan. Well, there you go. Or maybe we'll have some Conan here in our recommendations, as it's time for that part of our show where we like to talk about other comic books you can pick up at your local comic book shop today. This is where we like to give something similar, something recent, and something a little bit out of left field or off the beaten path, or in this case, somewhere out in the stretches of the far desert. Okay, so I'm going to go with our, our more recent recommendation. And as I alluded to at the top of the show, this is not my first go-around with Red Sonia. And Andy for sure knows that I'm guilty of this. I tend to follow creators more often than not. And I will get stuck in ruts sometimes where there are like five or six writers that whatever they write, I will read that book. And when Andy's like, all right, Chad, what's your next recommendation? I'm like, let's do this by Tom Taylor. And he's like, we just did a Tom Taylor book. It's like, oh. What about this uh, Tom King or this Mark Russell thing? Like, yeah, we just did one of those, one of those. Mm. It's like, ah, Jed McKay? Like, oh, you have one of those next time. And mm. so this was an instance where a creator that I really enjoyed started writing Red Sonia. And then it also happened to become available through Humble Bundle. It's an opportunity to buy comic books and donate to charity at the same time and you can traditionally get you know hundreds of dollars worth of comic books digital comic books for you know 20 bucks 30 bucks and determine where your money's going to go and so there was a red sonia humble bundle and it actually contained this gail simone work in there as well as work by mark russell who's one of my favorites so my recommendation is actually going to be the first six issues of his red sonia run with art by Mirko Kolak and occasionally Bob Q, who he worked with on Lone Ranger, which was awesome. But it is called Scorched Earth. And in the story, there is this guy who has been prophesied, be this conqueror, and he moves into town. And Red Sonia's there visiting, and the, the council elders decide, eh, we'll just let Sonia be our queen. And they figure either one of two things is going to happen. Either... Sonya is going to defeat this would-be conqueror, and they win. Or this would-be conqueror is going to take care of Red Sonya, and they win. And so either way. But uh, from that point on, you have Red Sonya, and it's much more about 
strategery is a word I like to use. It's a made up word. It's, it's her leading this ragtag army. And it's all about like what it takes to be a leader. And it gets really uh, thoughtful and complicated. And it definitely wasn't something that I expected from a red Sonia book. It was the first time I, I'd cracked through that veneer and I'm like, okay, maybe red Sonia can be a character. That's more than just cheesecake. It's more than just, you know, those things that I always associated with from the seventies and the eighties books. I read through the, the first two volumes and I know it continued from there. Uh, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to pick up the rest of it and read the story all the way through, but that's uh, really solid stuff. Volume one is scorched earth. I recommend it. All right. Well, I am going to recommend something similar and uh, that is Frank Thorne's red Sonia, uh, the art edition. So we had talked about sort of the, you know, Barry Windsor Smith, Roy Thomas created red Sonia and you had some John Bushima whenever red Sonia would show up in Savage Sword of Conan and, and Conan the Barbarian. But really, the legendary run of Red Sonia from 1976 was Frank Thorne's Red Sonia. And that was mostly featured in Marvel Feature. And Dynamite has put out, uh, you know, some trades of these books, but they've been recolored and, and re-inked, you know, with computers. And it just, it's, even Frank Thorne says it's a disaster zone. Oh, no. And we've gone down this on many a show uh, you know, modern coloring for classic comic books doesn't always work. Art edition is the scans of the original ink and pencil pages where you can even see where they've like uh, gone in with a bit of whiteout when they've had to redo some of the word bubbles. And so you really appreciate classic comic book art. And, you know, like me who thinks that the best Conan is the black and white savage sort of Conan. This is right up your alley because you're getting all this beautiful pencil art with some inks. So it's how it would have been originally presented before somebody went through and, and colorized it for 70s printing. So this beautiful hardbound editions that can be a little bit pricey, but you can also find the digital copies in Comixology. I think if you have the unlimited subscription, you can get them for free. And you know where I got my digital copy of that art edition? Through the Red Sonia Humble Bundle. So keep your eyes on that thing. I know Dynamite participates in those. But I just wanted to mention, too, those art editions. IDW is another company that puts out artists and uh, art editions. And if you are a comic book fan, I could not recommend those more. Uh, The physical heft of some of the hardback ones, they're the size that the artist originally drew on. So you get those two-up pages and oh it's it's so beautiful just to just to see the process um yeah. i've got a john ramita one i've got a jack kirby one and it's like prize possessions it's so fun to go through and look and see how this stuff came out you get the little notes in the margins and it, it's it's awesome stuff so what's coming out of left field or in this case out of left Tiberia? that's right well, actually, I think it's out of some sort of left Asgard or uh, left Niflheim or whatever they call it. And it's a series that we've been meaning to talk about on this particular program for some time because it was one of the breakout series of this summer. And it's about time that somebody talked about it. It is the Better Ray Bill series that Marvel put out with the wonderful Daniel Warren Johnson. 
If you're a fan of our program, you know that we've talked about this creator before. We did his Wonder Woman Dead Earth, still available on www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Go out there and listen to that show. But if you like that show, if you like what he did with Wonder Woman Dead Earth, then you're going to love what he did with Better Ray Bill. I mean, it's taking a, a basically a premise. I don't know. I, I hate to say it, it was handed to him because there's, there's other stuff going on with the Thor book. So like you have this idea of like better Ray bill initially leading like Asgardians against uh, Fing Fang food or something. But from there, it just kind of sets up this notion that better Ray bill has always been, unfortunately a second banana to Thor. Like in, in this case, he doesn't have Stormbreaker anymore and he's trying to lead this army and all of a sudden Thor comes in at the end and saves the day and everybody runs to him and he, he's kind of lost his humanity without Stormbreaker he's not able to turn away from the horse-faced god that we love so much and basically is saying I'm done with this I'm leaving Asgard I gotta go find myself some other weapon or or something to change myself back so I can live a normal life finally and so he goes on this quest with scuttlebutt and executioner shows up and he wants more guns which was awesome and pip even pip the troll shows up and helps him out as well and they go on this quest to go get uh the twilight sword which was the main weapon that surter used to basically destroy like all these planets back in the original uh walt simonson run which i I also could recommend but again it's really just an exploration of Better Ray Bill, uh, the character, how he has struggled in the shadows for his his entire career, even though so many people love him. Like I, 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 I'm hard pressed to think of bad Better Ray Bill stories, but like at the same no. time, yeah, even our viewership. If you go over off that poll we did a couple of months ago, Better Ray Bill is the person that everybody wants to see in the MCU. Yeah. Because everybody can appreciate him. He's, I think Second Bananas, they, they appeal to us as people because we're not the person always out front. We're not the captain of the football team. We're the person that has the same struggles that Better Ray Bill has, which is like, we think we're ugly. We think we're unworthy. We're trying to find our place in the universe, despite like shinier stars out there in the galaxy. We're, we're, we're trying to, to find... Uh, again some sort of peace and and an understanding and 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 in this series he gets that from scuttlebutt who turns into a kind of a female robot who you know is able to kind of interact with him in a different way than he has ever had to before and i don't know there's a giant gun at the end (laughs) i i can relate to being trapped in my horse form that's true but it's wonderful. It's five issues. Go out there and read it. It'll take you guaranteed. You start it. You'll finish it in an hour because you won't be able to put it down. It's one of the best books that I've read this year. Oh, it's a no. very awesome story. I cannot get enough Daniel Warren Johnson art with guns. Enormous ones. Executioner is so happy in that story. <laughs> there are certain moments where you and, just, you feel his joy. Yes. In any case, one thing that we hope that you feel joy with every single week is the Last Comic Shop Podcast. It's a fantastic place where you can get comic book reviews and recommendations. And if you like what we're laying down, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's got all of the links 
to all of the places where you can find our podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. And if you love our stuff, leave us a five-star review. Send us on a quest telling us what you think of us, and especially if you love what we're doing, because... We appreciate it. It is our treasure. There you go. That's Andy's quest is to solicit your kind words. For me, I'd, I'm cool just having the conversation. And you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop or on Facebook at Last Comic Shop Podcast. And if you need links to any of those things, as Andy had mentioned earlier, you can always go to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com where they can find what else this week, J.A.? Wow, links to our merch store, where this week only, specials on chainmail versions of all our t-shirts. <laughs> how does that work? How does the logo go on it? Like, how the do problem you- isn't putting the logo on the chainmail. The problem is shipping. <laughs> it weighs so much. <laughs> the problem is drying. Where do you dry that? You could use it to scour cast iron pans, though. <laughs> yes. It, it has another Multi-use. Story. Multi-use. And while we might be the last comic shop podcast, we're hoping to not be the last comic shop near you. If you need to find a comic shop near you, you can go to the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com. And you can find things like Red Sonia from Gail Simone. Or you can find Beta Ray Bill by Daniel Warren Johnson. And you could find... Frank Thorne's artist edition of Red Sonia and see the, that beautiful line work and see the process and see all that and so much more, which can be found at your local comic shop. All right. And until next week, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott. And remember to stay safe, stay sheltered. And if you like J.A. being the host, leave us some comments. Or maybe don't. It'll just inflate his ego, and I'll never be able to claw back control of this show from him again. Oh no! What will happen to me? It was the Dark Andrew. John Andrew the Red. Ah, one thing I learned in that book, I didn't know that chainmail could chafe so much when you're riding a horse. How could it not? It's chains on your body. What do you expect? The Last Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.